Howdy, folks. I'm Jeff Gonzalez, former Navy SEAL, president of Trident Concepts, and host of the Bulletproof Workshop, powered by AR15.com, where we discuss knowledge, skills, and ability to help bulletproof your everyday performance in whatever your field or passion. Welcome to Podcast 020. My next guest started in the strength and conditioning industry in the late 70s. He was a competitive powerlifter, winning the Great Texas Classic, Greater Texas Classic, Perfecting his barbell training program over 20 years, his testing and refining led to the publication of Starting Strength Basic Barbell Training. Known for his quick wit, being funny, not holding back, and having an anti-authoritarian streak, he is considered one of the foremost experts on strength training. Having authored several books on the subject, he is sought after for his brilliance in the basics, the basic lifts for strength development. He's an author, fellow ornery Texan, barbell pioneer, legendary coach, and training process preacher. Please welcome to the show, Mark Ripito. How's it going, Mark? Jeff, thanks for having me. Appreciate your calling. I am excited to be here. You have no idea. I have been a fan and follower of your process for for a long time. Well, long time to me. I know you've been in the business for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, and again, I appreciate you taking the time. And speaking of time, we'll take a short little break to thank our sponsors. Folks, this show is sponsored by 1776 Insurance. We're talking about comprehensive firearms collection coverage. That also includes your accessories, as well as knives. If you've got questions or you want to learn more, please visit 1776insurance.com. All right, so we are back. Um, so I'm sure that a lot of folks, and I posted up on our AR15.com forum uh, to the forum members, hey, I'm going to have Mark on the show. Let me know some of the questions. And I didn't get any questions from anybody, uh, but a lot of people were very um very excited to hear about this podcast. So I'm going to assume that many folks on the AR15.com world know you, but we also go farther than the AR15.com. So let's start from the beginning. And where did you grow up? Where do you hail from? Well, I'm from Wichita Falls, which is up near the Red River, uh, in the hottest part of Texas. <laughs> I mean, people think West Texas is hotter than Wichita Falls, but that's just not true. I have. It's uh, just not true. It's a, I've you know, been up there when it's hot, and oh fuck, it's, it's, it's unforgiving. You can't believe how hot it gets up there. <laughs> and when it when the heat settles in, it just it just stays there, and it's 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 real unpleasant because the humidity never gets below about twenty percent. So it's one hundred and fifteen at twenty percent humidity, and it's just you know, well, uncomfortable. It's a hellish nightmare. And then in the winter, it's you know it's cold. Well, that's nice. And it's you get a little reprieve. You know, you get some. You know, it, really, the weather up there is pretty damn good about nine months of the year. Wow, it's, it's, I would not have thought that. It really is nice up there about about nine months of the year. But you, it when it gets bad, <laughs> epically it's, bad. It's bad. <laughs> it really is. Uh, and I was born there. I went to school there. I. Uh, was in Colorado for a couple of years, but I've spent most of my life living in Wichita County. And uh, uh, the business is there. I bought uh, the former Anderson's gym in 1984 and have operated it as Wichita Falls Athletic Club since then. And uh, I have been in the actual business of of uh, in the fitness industry since 1978. So however long that is. That's a long time. It's quite a while. That's quite a while for (laughs) sure. Um, So growing up in North Texas like that, 
Was there something in the kind of like your early forming years that put you on the path towards strength and conditioning coaching? Oh, no. I, you know, I think I remember getting in a fight I was not prepared for when I was about 18 and uh, decided that I needed to be stronger. So I started lifting weights and I ran into Bill Starr in, uh, in the weight room at Midwestern University back in 1979. That was the year of our tornado. Ooh. We had a, a big F5 tornado in Wichita Falls in 1979. And uh, April 10th, 1979, it destroyed one quarter of the buildings in Wichita Falls. One quarter? It was, it was the first. It was right after uh, the F scale had been devised, and it was the first F5 tornado recorded in North America. Oh. And it was uh, the... The tornado was a quarter of a mile across as it contacted the ground. And you <laughs> know, with, with two hundred mile an hour winds. And it was a it was a devastating event. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and as a result, um, you know, a bunch of bunch of things changed in Wichita Falls <laughs> and Star Star had lived there for a long time previously, for off and on for years and did his uh he had family there, and he his daughter got injured in the tornado, so he was there in town to kind of take care of her. And uh, I ran into him at the Midwestern weight room a long time ago, and that kind of started me on the path toward uh, this 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 thing as as a way to make a living. <laughs> One yeah. of the things that I also really love about some of the philosophy that you espouse is. You talked about like the the gifted athlete who makes for a terrible terrible teacher, right? And the the struggling athlete who makes for the the better teacher. Yes. And that really resonated with me because in the shooting world, for me to get where I was at, I had to pretty much overcome just about every right. error. The same, it, it, Jeff. It's it's amazing that. Uh, High-level sports has not made this concrete observation. It is a universal truth that people who are naturally good at a thing cannot teach that thing to other people. Yeah. Now, that's true of, of athletics. It's true of math. Oh, man, I did not know that. Oh, well, think about it. I mean, why would a four-year school – Yeah. <coughs> There'll be some edits like this. <laughs> Why would a four-year school hire a guy with a PhD in 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 mathematics? Yeah, a twenty-four-year-old guy with a PhD, a terminal degree in mathematics, yeah. to teach college algebra. He doesn't understand why you don't already understand college algebra, and he can't explain that shit to no, you. No, you're absolutely He's right. He's got absolutely no ability to understand where the sticking point is for you in this process. Yeah. The best math teachers are guys that may have a science degree, you know, uh -huh. but that had trouble getting through Calc 1 yeah. 
two and yeah. three, and if they took differential equations, you know. Yeah. They, they had trouble with it. Yeah. Guys that made Bs. Yeah, yeah. Not As. Yeah. Because they had the problems to solve. Yes. That, that you have to solve. Here's the edit. So uh, it, this applies to pretty much everything that has to be taught. If you, uh, and, and we deal with this in, uh, in strength and conditioning in terms of people trying to coach strength and conditioning at the D1 and professional level. If you are on the coach on the on the strength and conditioning staff at a at a D1 school, mm-hmm. you have 55 kids in the locker room who are provided to you as genetic freaks because the recruiter <laughs> would not have hired them right had they not been genetic freaks. Now you take an 18-year-old genetic freak and by that, I mean somebody with a 36-inch vertical who learns physical movements visually. Yeah. All right, you take him and you put him in a program where he has to do something hard for four years. All right? He's already stronger than everybody else on his high school football team. Yeah. Or he wouldn't be there. Yeah. He's already strong. Yeah. Because he's got a he's got a, an incredibly efficient neuromuscular system. He's stronger than everybody else. He starts off that way. Mm-hmm. You put him on the on the program and you have him do anything <laughs> for four years. Yeah, what's he going to do? He's going to grow and he's going to get stronger. Yeah. And what does it look like you as the strength conditioning coach did? You know what you're doing. It looks like you know what you're yeah. doing. And you don't know a goddamn thing. <laughs> Yeah, because you haven't taught him how to squat. You haven't insisted that he show you deadlift PRs every couple of weeks. Yeah, you haven't insisted that he get stronger under the bar. But and and as a but as a result of the fact, yeah, that you have been provided with this level of talent, it looks as though you know what the hell you're doing, and you've got that. no idea what you're doing. It's you have so absolutely true. no idea, and it's. And, you know, we have always said that the best strength and conditioning coaches are the guys that are just working in gyms, who work with the general public, who actually require coaching. Yeah. That makes you know, sense. You know. Yeah. And it's 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 this the same with, with what you guys do. Some some guys are just physical geniuses with their hands and their eyes. Absolutely. Some guys just you don't have to explain to them what to do they already know how to do it you don't have to teach through the problems because there haven't been any problems for them so true man and and so none of this are none of the corrections in 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 guys like for guys like this ever get articulated none of the corrections yeah. get articulated yeah. because they don't have to be yeah so they don't have the toolkit absolutely to teach. Man. they have the toolkit to perform yes but they don't have the toolkit to teach so the best marksman you can find is never going to be the best marksmanship instructor you can find 100% that I'm telling you that is a universal that is axiomatic across human performance I I learned that one um, the hard way because I struggled you know like I had I didn't necessarily have learning disabilities but the way that people would teach me were these guys were good shooters and what they were teaching me didn't make sense. Right. Because they just assume, well, just do it like this. Do it like this. Do it like best, this. Best lifter in the world does it like this, yeah. so let's do it like he did. Yes. Well, okay. 
But that doesn't work. Exactly. That never works. Yes. It never works for anybody except the other best lifter in the world. It may not even work for him. That's hilarious. Oh, it's But it's, you know, look, how many NFL coaches in the history of the sport, in the past 70 years of the NFL, how many of the best NFL coaches in the business were also the best NFL players in the business? Like, like none of none them. None of them. <laughs> none of them. And there is a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. There is a reason for yeah. that. And, and what about the NBA? Have there been any high-level NBA coaches that were also high-level NBA players? Yeah. And I'm sincerely asking that question because I don't know. I don't follow basketball. I, I, I mean, I only know of you know, like the big-name guys like a Larry Bird or a Michael Jordan that went to coaching – but they weren't able to produce a ring. They didn't take it to the championship. Now, is that well, their fault or is that the team's fault? Well, I, you know, it doesn't is it, matter in a sense. It, it may be their fault in that they didn't hire the right assistant exactly. coaches that could explain it yes. when they couldn't. Exactly. Those guys were hired for their name. Exactly. Yes. Not for their coaching ability. Absolutely. They're hired for the name. The USA Weightlifting goes out and hires Pyrrhus Demas as the men's national coach, who's the, you know, one of the top five weightlifters in history wow as the men's national team coach greek athlete nice fabulous fabulous weightlifter very very strong very efficient very strong but they don't understand yeah they don't understand that we don't we need somebody to teach us how to program we need somebody that knows how to program not that had it programmed for him but somebody who had to come up with these solutions for himself. How do you have – I watched one day at the Olympic Training Center, I watched uh, a very high-level lifter being coached by the guy that was the then men's national team coach. We were all up there for a camp. And uh, we are in the weight room watching uh, Wes Barnett train one afternoon. And uh, – he was uh, he was being coached by uh, a guy that was uh, a very very good Romanian lifter, and uh, who was a nice guy, a real nice guy. You know, I can't say anything. He was a personable gentleman. He was a great a great guy. But we're all sitting around watching these snatches, and the guy missed one sixty five three times. Now, that's not a huge, giant-ass weight, but we are Americans, and we're, we don't lift big, giant-ass weights, right? <laughs> but he missed this thing three times out in front of him, and uh, Dragomir is just walking back and forth with his hands behind his back. That's how he used to. Huh. Well, now, the assumption is, the assumption was at the time, still is, that a lifter at that level cannot be coached in terms of technique because he's already a national level lifter and his technique is solid. Okay. But he just missed the goddamn thing three, three times. times. Yeah. He dropped it in the floor in front of him. He made a technical error or he would have made the snatch. Now, what was the technical error? And how do you fix the technical? I love this. Yes. Right? Yeah. Now, that's the logical analysis. Yes. Right? <clears throat> that was never offered. Interesting. It was never offered. 
And I, I could see what the problem was. The two guys I was with could see what the problem was. But not one time was his technical error corrected. It was a pulling error. Huh. It's a mechanical pr- error. Sure. You know, if you, yeah, you've done a movement pattern yeah. a, a thousand times this year, you know, and 30,000 times over your life, you, you made a technical error. Your form will change a little bit and you can't feel it. Because if it changes three or four percent, that may and that that three or four percent drift happens over the course of a month. You don't necessarily because of an injury or something, yeah. soreness, something like that. You're in a different position, slightly different position than is econ- that is that is mechanically efficient. Uh-huh. You may not be able to tell that you're in that slightly different position. Sure, the coach's job is mm-hmm. to identify the error, and then correct the error. Now, if the lifter is a very, very talented lifter, Mm -hmm. but he's making an error, whose job is it to identify the error and correct the error? should be the coach's. It's the coach's job. Yeah, yeah. It's the coach's job. But if the coach Mm -hmm. does not recognize that change in position as an error, because he has never had to think through the process of why we pull the way we do, yeah. why we don't pull the other way, and how to fix the position you see in front of you on the platform into the correct pull, into the correct mechanical position for the pull, because he himself was a high-level lifter and never had to – he just did it right yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he can't solve that kind of problem. And this, this applies to uh, – this applies to all movement-intensive sports, gymnastics, blah, blah, blah. You know, there, there aren't really, as, as far as I know, there have never been any Olympic gymnastics coaches that were themselves high-level gymnasts. Yeah. Right? I, I mean. I can't think of any of them. You know, they're, 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 you know there aren't any real high-level gymnasts functioning as gymnastics coaches. Yeah. Because it doesn't work. High-level athletes never make good coaches. <clears throat> you know, if if you had, I, you know, one of the one of the interesting exceptions to that would have been Richard Feynman, the physicist. I don't think I know him. Who was uh, he's great big famous uh, theoretical physicist uh, was involved in several big important projects but he he wrote a great big giant treatise on mechanics and and wave motion and all kind of other things and he was an excellent teacher huh and an excellent physicist at the same time but he was the exception interesting he was the exception because the vast majority of the time the understanding of complex subjects is accomplished by not understanding them, doing the work it takes to begin to understand them, figuring out the problems and achieving understanding. I love that. Or <clears throat> you're either so bright, you've got 160 IQ, <laughs> that it's obvious to you without any, any kind of explanation. And what do we know about people with 160 IQ? <laughs> well, they don't communicate well with not me at and all. You. Not at all. <laughs> They'll communicate well with me and you. Not at all. All right. And and that's just the way shit is. Yeah. 
All right. Now we use those kind of people for things that they're real good at. You yeah. leave them alone and let them work. Yes. All right. But to teach the subject, you want somebody with 130 IQ yeah. that's brighter than most of the students, but that still had to go through the work yes. involved in absorbing the topic. See, and this is this is this is this is across all disciplines. Yes. You know. Yes. I love that because the the analogy that I draw and I use in my classes, I use a lot of parallels between lifting weights and and shooting. So some of the students that I have, they have a modicum of understanding about that. And I tell them, you know, the barbell never lies. You're either going to make the lift or you're not going to make the lift. Right. And the the same thing with the bullet. The bullet never lies. It either hit the target or it didn't hit the target. And it's just the straightforward mechanical process. Exactly. Did you lift it? Did you hit the target? Exactly. And, And if you didn't, why? And the interesting thing about my industry and the reason why I love this kind of conversation is because so many of the guys that are in the industry um, do a very good job of shooting themselves. Not so That came out wrong. <laughs> Not shooting themselves, but shooting for themselves. And then trying to articulate. I've watched them try to articulate. I can see the shooter. I can see the error. Just like you know, watching from the platform, right. I can see this. And watching the shooting instructors or coaches try to assist that student it's like for me i'm like oh my god i just want to say something right now i just want to do something you could tell that the instructor never had the problem himself absolutely without a question and it's like and when i bring it up the other thing that bothers me and i'm curious if you see the same thing here is when you bring it up to them in an educational aspect like i'm trying to edit you know like trying to pass this knowledge on to the coach yeah exactly they are resistant yes Yes, especially if they are perceived to have some level of attainment yeah. in this in this field. Sure, yeah. they don't need their credentials questioned. They don't want their competence yes. assayed yeah. by anybody else. Yes. yes, you know, because then that calls their their numerical value into question. <laughs> no, I mean it's perfectly reasonable. It thing is. To, you know, you guard your you guard your professional expertise because that's where you make your money makes it a lot of, i guess i hadn't thought of it that way but yeah sure i i, I would have i guess from my perspective i am uh, i try to consider myself a perpetual student always trying to learn yeah. uh, and if i have somebody in a class with me that has equal a peer or equal or above skill i'm interested in in their assessment their observations mm-hmm. or their experience because that's how i get better right um i know that that's not necessarily the same for everybody else and it's no, a, it really is the same for everybody else. Here, hmm. achievement is an asymptotic approach to a limit. Okay, that's physical achievement, mental achievement. If you're learning how to play the piano, mm-hmm. you first, you know, you've been playing two months. You're down here. Yeah. Here's the curve. Yes, you're approaching a limit. Here's yes. a limit, theoretical limit. Yeah, you approach that limit asymptotically. In other words, the closer you get to the limit, the longer it takes. Yes, the harder it is. Yes. The more effort, the more expense is required to approach the limit. Yes. But the early part is rapid and easy. Yes. Now, this is true of – this is just the law of diminishing returns. It applies to everything. It's so funny to hear you say that. Um, we have a mutual friend, John Wellborn. And Johnny, uh, when I uh, – I went through a dark period of my life, and getting back into shape was uh, the way out of that darkness. Mm-hmm. And John was instrumental in that. He created a program for me that I followed. And I can remember almost, almost 
like every other day, my program was a, a four day program. Every other day I was texting him. Oh my God. I just, I just did this. I just lifted that. I just squatted this. I just did that. And, and for like the first three or four months, there was just that skyrocketing PR yeah. making PR making machine sure. all the time. And then you hit that plateau. Then the gains start to slow down. And now we have to start thinking <laughs> <clears throat> because at first, when the gains are easy, all you got to do is put five more pounds on the bar. Yeah. Right. But six months from now, when things start to get hard and you can't complete the fifth rep with five more pounds on the bar, now we have to get creative about what we're going to do in the gym today. Yeah. Do we back off a little bit? Do we change the program? What do we do? We got to make, got to make complicated decisions that previously we didn't have to make. Yeah. But think about it this way. At any given time, the vast majority of the population that either you or I deal with are novices. Mm. Yep. They're novices. Yep. You know, now when it comes time, we need to know how to solve complicated problems for these people. Yeah. But most of the people we work with just need to sit down and shut up and put five pounds on the bar. <laughs> And then lift it. Do the fifth rep. I know the fifth rep is going to be heavy. Do you have the balls <laughs> to take it down, squat it, and stand back up with yeah. it? Do you have the balls to try it? Now, you can either do it in one or two ways. You can rack it after rep number four, and now you don't know anything. Uh huh. Or you could try the fifth rep. You can try the fifth rep, and you'll either make it and learn something about yourself, or you won't make it, and you'll learn something about yourself. But if you don't try it, yes, you don't know. It's so oh, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I see the same thing. Like shooters that get to that plateau become stagnant voluntarily mm -hmm. because they reach that level, and to put in the extra work to try to shave off a few seconds or increase their distance at, at, with the precision is all you know you're 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 slicing hairs at that point right. and the return on the investment is hard to generate you know it's hard it's hard to validate if, if you will right well uh, you know but this is a good place to introduce the concept of the two factor model of sports performance and this is something that we have we have pretty much exclusively developed over at starting strength and i think it's very useful for any physical discipline because it is uh, it is an explanation for what happens and it is prescriptive mm. for the way to continue to make progress. And the two-factor model is briefly. Uh, if, if you've got, and it's easy to explain with strength training, so I'll just use this as an analogy. If you have a strength sport, well, You have a sport that is that is dependent on force production. Now, this covers most sports. Precisely. You know, most most sports are are dependent on force production, and strength is the is the production of force against an external resistance. That's what strength is defined as. Mm. That's just the physical definition yes. of strength. Very simple. Yes. There's not eight kinds of strength. There's <laughs> one kind of strength, and that's how hard can you push on something. Yes. All right. <clears throat> now. If you are in a sport that uses force production, let's say you're playing baseball. Okay. All right. 
baseball uses force production when they throw the ball, when they hit the ball with the bat, when they run the bases, when they catch the ball in weird-ass positions on the field, when they throw the ball back from weird-ass positions on the field. All of this is force production. Baseball is a very, very physical game. Yeah. Right? So how do we produce an increased ability to produce force? All right. Well, the most effective way to produce an increased ability to produce force is to train with barbells. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think there's anybody willing to argue that point anymore. I, I yeah. Uh, you know, it, that conversation, we already won that argument. Yeah. <clears throat> so the, the question would then be, <clears throat> how strong does the athlete need to be? Good question. All right. Well, yeah. He needs to be as strong as he can get yeah. without compromising on the other aspects yeah. of his sports performance, yeah. which involve the quality we call skill. Yes. All right? So he's got strength. He develops strength over here, and then he develops skill over here. Yes. Those are the two aspects of force performance that feed into each other at the performance. Okay, now strength is trained in terms of, and we use the term training in a very, very specific way. Yes, training is, I love that. Training is uh, a systematic approach to applying stress to the body in order that after recovery takes place, an adaptation for increased force has occurred. It's a, it's a, escalating it's a the the slope to it a positive slope to that line and strength development starts over here and it generates a point here that is higher than where we started through the accumulation of the response to accumulating stress so that we're stronger down here than we were when we started out now you can look at endurance the same way if you want to, because endurance is a stress adapta- is a physiologic adaptation to stress, mm-hmm. just like strength is. Yeah. There are two different types of adaptations. <clears throat> uh, strength is it re- is an is an architectural adaptation. It requires the construction of new tissue. Yes. It requires the remodeling of tissue that's already there. It requires thicker tendons and bigger muscles and denser bones and tougher cartilage and all that stuff. And all of these things, all these physiologic adaptations are a part of the acquisition of strength. Yeah. And that adaptation is obtained by gradually increasing the amount of force required of the athlete during a workout, a workout being one dose of stress application okay and the recovery therefrom okay all right so if we go up five pounds a week five pounds of workout for a while five pounds of workout that's the stress the adaptation is 15 pounds a week of increased force production capacity yeah all right now all that happens very quickly at first and then it slows down yes and requires more and more and more effort all right now keep that in mind because that's going to figure into what happens later okay. to the baseball player. Okay. Okay. Now, the other aspect of, of sports performance is skill. All right. 
throwing the ball, yeah. catching the ball, swinging the bat, doing the things that baseball players do on the field in a performance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the performance is specific. All right? Yeah. The performance is specific. You're throwing a five-ounce baseball at a catcher's mitt 60 feet, six inches away from the pitcher's mouth. Yeah. you got to hit that every time. Yep. Yeah. All right? Unless the batter hits it first. <laughs> True. The batter prepares by practicing hitting balls thrown from that distance at a certain speed. So his hand-eye coordination, his timing, allows him to hit the ball. Both are very, very specific, so specific. to the to the performance. The bat weighs about the same. Uh-huh. The baseball weighs about the same. All right? And over 10,000 reps, the guy gets pretty good at performing that skill. All right? And what is the 10,000 reps? That's practice. Okay. Practice and training are different. Yes. I love hearing this. Practice and training are completely different things. Practice is that which is dependent on accuracy and precision. Okay. And as such, it is repetition dependent. But it is also specificity dependent. Now, if I give you a seven-ounce baseball to throw at the catcher's mitt, That's different than the five ounce baseball. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, what are you using in the game? The five ounce five baseball. Ounces, yeah. But if you throw a seven ounce baseball at the catcher's mitt, what do you do it? You're practicing doing it slow. Yeah. You're practicing generating more force than you would with the five ounce baseball. But the five ounce baseball force generation requirement is what we're going to do on game day. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Why? What in your head as a baseball coach would lead you to believe that a seven ounce baseball would be better than a five ounce baseball? And I'll tell you exactly what it is. You don't understand the difference between training for strength, which is not specific, and practice for baseball, which is exquisitely Specific. specific. Yeah. Right? How do you get stronger? Throwing a two-ounce heavier baseball (laughs) or getting your bench up 150 pounds. Getting your press up 100 pounds. Getting your deadlift up 300 pounds. Getting your squat up 250 pounds. That's how you get stronger. Yes. You can't get stronger with a two-ounce baseball (laughs) increment. Right? So you, you have to understand that generally we train for strength. Generally we train for endurance. We, those are general physiologic adaptations, but the specific neuromuscular motor pathway adaptations are trained with repetitions performed under the same exact conditions mm. in which the performance occurs, or as close to it as is feasible. I love that. If you look at, at this model of preparation for sports performance, you will see that this dichotomy has to be understood in terms of the specific sport, okay? Now, if you are a marathon athlete, Mm. all right, your training is going to involve a bunch of road miles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But your training also should involve some strength 
training. Now, I don't want a, a marathon athlete squatting 225. But he ought to be able to squat his body weight for a set of five. You would think. You, you would think. Yeah. I mean, that's not heavy. Yeah. Especially considering who wins marathons. That's, that's not true. real heavy. Yeah. And what does it do for them? Well, it, it keeps them from getting hurt so easy. Interesting. Right? Yeah. It, it toughens everything up and keeps them from getting injured. But I don't need a power lifter's performance out of the marathon athlete, and I never have said I did. <laughs> you know? That's, that's not a refutation of this model. Yeah. Okay? You, you want the guy stronger than he is now, but you don't want him to spend so much time training for strength that it interferes with the primary adaptation that he needs for a marathon. Yes. Which is endurance. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't want, by the same token, I don't want a baseball player in the weight room so much that it compromises his ability to practice on the field. That's true. I don't need that. I just need him strong enough yes. to hit the ball harder. Now, in baseball, the traditional way to get strong enough to hit the ball harder has been to take steroids. <laughs> Right? That's so That's true. What, so uh -huh. Barry Bonds has to go talk to John McCain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't want to talk to John McCain. No. About anything. No. Yeah. You don't want to have to do that. You don't want to be dragged your ass in front of a Senate committee for something they have absolutely no interest in investigating. Yeah. Or shouldn't, but that's what happens. Yeah. When you take the easy way out, oh, instead of just doing your goddamn deadlifts and squats and presses <laughs> and benches, yeah. And doing your power cleans and power snatches because you are a professional athlete and you ought to be able to do those two movements. 100%. Right? You know, instead of doing that, you're taking Dianabol. Okay. Well, look, you don't have to talk to John McCain because you took, because you did your deadlifts and added 10 pounds to your deadlift over the past month. I love right. It. You don't have to talk to John McCain. And that saves you a bunch of time and travel and aggravation. Oh, and my God. Having to put on that suit, all this other shit. So you, but you got to work in the weight room. But now. you have to work in the weight room. Yes. And depending on how much you're being paid, that shouldn't bother you. I agree. You know, I mean, how much are they paying your ass? <laughs> Play this game. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I've been accused of being a callous barbarian for saying this, but <laughs> if I'm paying a guy $3 million a year, to play baseball, I want him in the weight room and taking steroids. Oh, well, best of both worlds. I don't care about his health. <laughs> no, but why do I give a shit about his health? I want his baseball performance. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Now that's that's callous, but I, you know, I'm but famous if the name for of that. The game but is I, to win. the name of the game is performance yes. and strength is yes. performance. It's always why did Barry Bonds hit the fucking ball so far? Because he's a great, big, strong guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, I can make a guy the same height the same big and strong. You know, I don't depend on him to be boring like that. I, love I know that. how to make him stronger. I can do it every time. Yeah. If I've got that kind of athletic ability and I've got that kind of attention from him, I can make him stronger every single time, and I can make him hit the ball a whole bunch harder, throw the ball a whole bunch faster, and perform on the field. I can make him do that in a very predictable way that I can control precisely over time oh, man. through training. 
through my training approach, and then I make sure that my training doesn't interfere with his practice so that he develops both the physiologic adaptations and the skill necessary for the performance. I love that. Right? Now, it, that makes pretty good sense, doesn't it? It makes a lot of sense. And if you, you, can, I, you can analyze any sports performance with that paradigm. Quick word from our sponsor. We've been working with the folks at 1776 for comprehensive insurance of our firearms collections, and um, I'm really happy with how things are going so far. And one of my concerns is with the amount of commuting that I do with my firearms collection, um, what happens should my vehicle be broken into or stolen with my firearms? And there's reason to have this concern because there's 800,000 vehicles stolen per year in America. So it's not, you know, it's, it's a little bit more common than what we might think. What I mentioned earlier is that they have a comprehensive insurance plan, which is that they will cover your firearms stolen out of your vehicle, or should your vehicle be stolen, cover the firearms that were in the vehicle. So that's pretty, you know, pretty reassuring in a sense. So I've mentioned this before, but the process to apply is pretty easy. Uh, approval is pretty quick. They do not require you provide a itemization or serialized numbers. There's no appraisal or schedules that you have to provide. So really all you want to do is just make sure you have proof of ownership and that's it. So if you want to learn more about the folks from 1776 and insuring your firearms collection, visit 1776insurance.com. When I am, uh, I'll have, and I think you could appreciate this, I'll have a student after class come up to me and say, hey, you know, uh, this is, you know, I, I really want to get better at, at shooting. Right. I really want to get better. Uh, what what do you suggest? What do you advise? And it's always a trick question because there's no way that I can answer that very right. easily. It's the same as how right. do I get stronger for you? Right. Um, but my response to them in my head, what I want to tell them is you need to get stronger. Right. And then I end up giving them a, uh, you know, a more appropriate response. Well, practice this drill. Get out there and just do this. You need to put more time on the range. Blah blah blah. But what I want to tell them is to get stronger. Why don't you tell them to get strong? Well, I do, but I know they don't want to hear it because I know it one of the matter what they want to hear. Well, that's true now, too. I shouldn't now, be concerned. Jeff, let me lecture you. <laughs> Lay it on. You me. are being paid to tell them the truth, not what they want to hear. One hundred percent. And All I right? do. And that's the funny thing is I do that without that's, exception. We have that same problem with coaches yeah. all the time. Yeah. Here you've got – now it's time for you to piss off your client. Yes. Oh, I do it so What well. are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to piss the client off or are you going to deposit the check? Yeah, so true. Now, the, the honest man pisses off the client. Right. Right? Yeah. Because they're paying you yeah. to tell them what they need to hear. Oh, yeah. They're not paying you to tell them what they want you what, – yeah. what they want you to tell yeah. them. Yeah. Well – I mean, they, they, they may or may not – they may or may they not say be they paid, want to hear but it. They say they, they want, want to hear, hear it, it, and if they quit, they quit. Yeah. Now you've got a hole in your schedule. Somebody else can take. <laughs> Fair enough. Right? That's a good point. It's an I, excellent point. And you you clean up your client base because you don't want people in there that don't want to listen to what you have to tell them. It, and if it's you true. want to tell them to get stronger, then you say you need to get stronger. Now here's the way to get stronger. All right. And when I I mean, what we're accused of all the time is being dogmatic. Oh, okay. All right. I can defend my dogma. All right? Fair enough. I defend it for hours. Yeah. I can defend my dogma. If I tell you that you need to do six exercises, yeah. you need to squat, you need to press, you need to deadlift, mm -hmm. you need to bench press, you need to power clean, and you need to do chin-ups. Okay. 
Those are the six basic exercises that you need to do. You don't need to do anything else, but you have to do as many of those six as you can, and you don't get out of any of them unless you're injured. Fair enough. And and we got furthermore, we have specific ways that we have analyzed and developed to do those six exercises in the way that is most efficient. Mm. And by that I mean the ways that train the greatest amount of muscle mass mm. during the movement pattern and the ways that operate that movement pattern over the longest effective range of motion because nice. that is the way to make the exercise generate the greatest strength adaptation for the amount of time spent under the bar. Love it. And uh, as it turns out, there, you know, we we have heard from people that hadn't really thought about this. Why there are as many ways to squat as there are s- grains of sand on the beach. Well, that's <laughs> that's bullshit. <clears throat> that's absolute bullshit. And you know, there's not as many ways to shoot a pistol as there are grains of sand on the fucking beach. So now, true. are there? So true. There aren't that many ways to do this. No. Now, there are ways that look different true, than, than other ways to do it, but, but that are, in essence, exactly the same, and they look different because different people are doing them. That's it. Right. So the way one guy squats may look different than the way another guy squats, but that's because his back is longer and his legs are shorter than the other guy. Yeah. The geometry is going to appear different when he executes what is essentially for him the same movement pattern Yes, being executed by the other guy. All right? And why execute it that way? Because it works the more, most muscle mass over the longest effective range of motion and lets him get more weight moved over the exercise. I love that. Now, what we do is different than what everybody else does because we don't think about muscle groups at all. Yeah. We're not concerned with muscle groups. Chest and tries? We're, not, concern- do- we're not concerned with chest and tries. <laughs> we're not concerned with bys and hams and, you know, quads and calves. All this shit. We're concerned with movement yeah. patterns. Yeah. Human movement patterns. Yes. Yeah. And human movement patterns are you squat down and you stand back up. Yeah. You pick something up off the ground. Yeah. You push something up over your head. Yeah. You push something away from you. You pull something toward you. It's so true. I when I you throw something up and catch it. This is the the movement patterns themselves use all of those muscle groups. There's not anything left out of a deadlift. Everything is in contraction in a deadlift if it's heavy enough. Yeah. Right? And all you've got to do is strengthen the movement pattern. And all the muscle groups that contribute to the kinetic chain will get stronger. Yeah. Because they don't have a choice. So it's <coughs> it's, it's uh, <coughs> one of the things that I try to talk to uh, to John about early on is like, listen, this is this is what I need. I need, I want to be able to, um, 
lift something heavy off the ground like a down man. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to put him on my shoulders and carry him, so like a back squat. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to pull or get him up on your shoulders, exactly like a power clean. A power clean. I never thought of that. Right. Yes, absolutely. Like a power clean. And I need to be able to lift myself up on a wall like a pull up or chin like up. A pull up or chin exactly. up. And then I need to lower myself down. <coughs> and and we went through kind of like the progressions that I needed to be able to function to 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 perform my duties. Right. And that's all I wanted. I didn't right. want anything. Any you don't other. need biceps no. or separation or muscularity or any of this bullshit. No. I didn't. I didn't want any of that. And I wanted just the. Uh, and I don't. I use the term bare bones, but actually, it's not bare bones. No. It's just what is necessary. It's just all that's necessary. Exactly. It's all that's necessary because every movement pattern that you can execute, other than those six, mm-hmm. is a subunit. Of one of those, of those six. six, yeah. <coughs> so it's an right? accessory work, uh, accessory move. It's no, it's just a, it's a derivation or or, okay. or variation of that main movement. So you know, if you're going to pick something up off the ground, and the bar is on the ground, yeah, and you're going to pick it all the way up to the top, a variation of that would be the rack pull, which is the top half of the pull, yeah, or a halting deadlift, which is the bottom half of the pull. But they're both versions of the deadlift. Dead they're both expressions of the same amount of, of the same movement pattern yeah. that comprise the basic parent movement, the deadlift. Yeah. Right. And if you, so if if let's say you've got a, a a particular set of constraints, you've only got thirty minutes a week to train. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Yeah. Well, you pick the two movement patterns that you can train in 30 minutes that cover the most of that territory. And what I would do in that situation is I would deadlift and press. Interesting. I would deadlift and press, realizing that I was leaving out important stuff that I need to come back to later Okay. when my schedule allows a a more efficient approach to the training problem. Nice. I like that. You know, and and that'll apply to all kinds of different. I, things. I was actually going to ask you if I only could do one lift, what would it be? But probably in this case, the deadlift. But in this case, I mean, the press is also something that's probably the easy. press is extremely important in terms of making you the strongest overall. The squat is the most important. Okay. But the squat requires equipment that the deadlift doesn't require. Yes. And that might be a consideration. I like that. You know, like that. that might be a consideration in terms of of building muscle mass and making the whole body strong. Yeah. There's nothing to, that, that competes with the squat. Yes, I love it. The deadlift allows you Hope to, you're listening to that, lift heavier weights, but the deadlift also operates over a shorter range of motion for the for the knees and the hips. So the, the squat is preferred. Okay. That's the basis of our of our training program, but in the special case. Yeah. Of if I've got a limited amount of time to to apply to this to this problem, uh-huh. th- those are the two things I would do, and I would do them twice a week. Okay, and I I would take a linear approach to that pro. I put five pounds of workout on both both movements. Nice. Five pounds on the deadlift, two and a half pounds on the press. That's that what I would do is I actually may experiment with that. I may I may experiment, and the reason why I, I may experiment with it which leads into my next question, which is: so I'm an aging athlete, high mileage. Got a lot of miles on the chassis. Mm-hmm. Want to continue to perform at uh, you know an appropriate peak level for myself. Sure. Uh, in this day and age, uh, training for me has changed a little bit. 
Uh, part of that change is my age. I'm getting older. But the other thing is, uh, and you mentioned it, was time. I'm investing more time in other activities. Right. That is, uh, that I, 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 there's only so many hours in right. my day. So I've had to try to rethink my, um, my programming. Right. And yeah, it's it, things, once you get in our position, things do not become, <laughs> things don't stay about your own personal performance yeah, anymore. Yeah, things Things change in terms of shifting toward the performance of the things, the other shit we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, so true. Over here. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And you have to adjust your train. Yeah. You know, So I've had to do the same thing. I, I'm, I'm going to play with the, uh, the deadlift and press. Because I, I am now down. I was at four workouts a week. I'm down to two workouts a week. That's what I do. So I'm going to I'm going to do both deadlift and presses for maybe like 30, 45 days and see. Just I I'm, I know what results I'm going to get because right. I've I've done the system before. I've I've worked through that progression of constantly right. adding weight resistance to whatever it was that I was doing, and I saw the results. Right. If you're going to plan plan on doing presses and deadlifts two days a week. I'd make one day the the PR day where you go up in weight, and okay. the other day eighty percent. Okay, fair enough. I can do that. That's simple enough. Yeah, it it's won't easy. Take you thirty minutes to do this. You start off on your deadlifts, and you do your deadlift warm ups, and then you do your press warm ups. So you're gonna set up two stations. Yep, easy. And when you get warmed up for your work sets, you're doing both sets of work at the same time, and you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, thirty I, forty minutes. It's, it's and that's perfect. Spend. I mean, yes. I've, 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 I've adapted. I started running again, so I like to get up early and go run for, with my dog. And then uh, as soon as I'm done with the run, I'm in the gym. I'm working. I, I was, mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate to have my own rig in my gym or my garage, I should say. I just call it my gym. Uh, and so that's an easy thing for me to do. I also, I also try to encourage other. Like I will post videos up just because I feel like other, other people benefit from that. I've had so many people that have. You know, even though I didn't say you need to get stronger, they recognized that they were inefficient on the firing line. 16 hours. Um, you if know, you're not strong, 16 hours is a long day. It is. And it's a shorter day if you're stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I find favorable about that is one of my greatest nemesis is that as fatigue sets in to, for these students, their mm -hmm. mental ability to stay focused on the simplest of tasks starts to wane on them yes and now i have to consider well do i need to kind of shorten the day and i hate doing that because i've got a curriculum to follow i've got right. steps that i need to make you got you got shit to yeah, get done, done and exactly. it just takes time yeah exactly right. but they are not if they come unprepared for that exactly exactly then it compromises their ability to get the most out of the absolutely course. and sure. so it's frustrating for me uh, and so i've tried to encourage that when i can through my own example i try mm -hmm. to always lead with it with by being you know out there um and i've had so many students that have uh for right or wrong you know when i when i get when i get asked what should i do i usually tell them get to a gym do something that has you move in a barbell Whatever right. it is, if you can do, if, you know, I I try not to get on a on a soapbox and say, well, this is the best, this is the best. Yeah, you don't need to program strength. That's no, what you're I don't. For, I, but, exactly, I don't you know, want to. I, and I don't program shooting, and you don't program yeah, strength. That's what other professionals exactly, are for. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So my my thing that I try to get across to them is do some basic 
research and find something. Maybe you don't have anything in your area. Unlikely, because I get all the excuses. I hear them all the time. Well, right. I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have. I've got kids. I've got family. I've got this. I've got that. Well, and, and it finally comes down to the to the uh, the final question is how much does this mean to you? Yeah, exactly. How much does this mean to you? You want to get better or not? I'm just telling you what you need to do to get better, exactly. and you're telling me why you can't. I know. I don't want to hear why you can't. I want to know how you're going to make it happen, or I don't care. Yes, I love IDC. I don't care. I don't care. It's, Here's I, what's required. Yeah, that's my hashtag. I can't change what's required <laughs> because your particular personal situation doesn't allow for that. Yeah. I can't change what's yeah, required. Yeah, I love it. I love it. When the, I've had those students that have come back that have taken the initiative on their own and gone out and they've, you know, usually I'll see somebody like um, once a year. I'll go to a location and I'll I'll return maybe a year later to that same location and I'll see some of the same students. And I'm always, always, always so excited to see students that have taken that year and, and start. Yes. yes. And not better, but they got stronger. Right. And when they get on the firing line, they crush it. They're just it's, it's such right. a different student they're um right. i wouldn't say black and white night and day <clears throat> but their ability to tackle the new skill that i'm throwing at them is advanced because they have such a strong base right literally right now another aspect of of their getting stronger that is so important jeff it's just you, we, you can't understate the importance of having gone through the process of applying an incremental increase in stress over time and watching your own numbers go up because that teaches you something that can't be learned anywhere else. No. It teaches you something that is best learned under the bar. I start a kid out at 135 pounds for three sets of five on the squat. And six months later, that kid is doing 365 pounds for three sets of five on the squat. <laughs> Happens all the time. Happens all the time. His body weight's going up 35 pounds. Oh, jeez. And he has learned something about his ability to control his situation, hasn't he? Yes. His incremental application of an increase in stress yeah has taught him a lesson about how to get better at everything else he's going to hundred percent this is it this is the most important aspect of what we do for not only kids that age but for for old people who have decided you know i'm about ready to give up on this shit <laughs> i hurt but i these guys are you know these guys are starting strength. They're telling me that I I can, well, so I, I'll go in there and try for a month, and see how it is. And after a month, her deadlift is up forty pounds. I love it. I love this it. This old woman's deadlift is up forty pounds. This old guy's deadlift is up. After a month, he's up to sixty five, seventy pounds. And suddenly, getting up off the toilet is not that hard. It's not that hard anymore. <laughs> Right? And, 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 so what have I handed him? Yeah. I've handed him the tools that he needs. 
This is everybody that we train. We've handed them the tools they need to not just get up off the toilet, but to solve physical problems and every other kind of problem they might encounter. An incremental approach to the accumulation of the adaptation. Yes. Whether you're playing the piano or deadlifting. Yeah. It's an incremental approach to the accumulation of the skill or the accumulation of the physiologic adaptation to solve the problem. And that cannot be, uh, that is probably our, the most important thing that we do Hmm. with the most of the people that we train. I love that. You know, it's, it's, we're teaching them how to solve not just this problem with the barbell on the floor right here. It's everything. How do you do Look, your grandkid is a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> All right? Your grandkid is a giant pain in the ass. How are you going to deal with him? Yeah. Well, you incrementally. Yeah. <laughs> you deal with him incrementally. Five you pounds at a time. You, you five, five pounds, pounds at, at a time. time. You don't just go in and try to wholesale modify his behavior. I fucking you know, love you don't, that. You, you just <laughs> take the opportunity to teach him one thing today. Yes. You know. That's that's brilliant. That is brilliant. I love it. It's so awesome. I mean, you know, and and I, I, the other thing, and you touched on it, was learning about yourself. Mm-hmm. And yes, the, the 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 like we said earlier, the barbell never lies. No, nope. it's, it's going to tell you the truth every time. And the question is, are you willing to listen to? Do that? you have the ball? Yes. All right. That's the question. Now, when you. If you get down to the third set of five for the work set you're going to do today and the fourth rep of that third set of five, last set you're going to do, you got one rep left in the workout. Mm. And you say, ah, it felt real hard. Huh. I don't think I can do this. Yes. I don't know if I'll put this up. I'll call that an RPE of 8.79384. <laughs> you know. All right. But what you did was – you pushed out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, if you do the fifth rep, and this is terribly critical, what you're obtaining is data. Yes. Yes. Can you do it or can you not do it? If you do it, then what you have learned is that you can do things that you thought you couldn't do. Yeah. Now, nothing teaches you that better than the bar. Yes. Nothing teaches you. That just because you think it's going to be hard doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah. You know, I do that all the time. I do that even, I've been training for 48 years. And what I, here a year and a half ago before I hurt my knees a bit, uh, I was I was squatting in, in one night and I had my spotters around me. I was doing, I was going to do 335 for a set of three. Which was heavy for me, yeah, yeah. right? It's not heavy, but it was. It's heavy for me because I'm old and beat up and injured and useless and shit. So, <laughs> so I get these two guys to spot me on this set, and warm ups had felt like shit. Uh, Everything felt like shit. Yeah, you can't tell from the warm ups. I know. I know you think you can tell from the warm ups, but you can't tell. You can't tell from the warm up. <laughs> you have no. If, look, if I can't tell from the warm ups, you can't tell from the warm ups either. Okay? okay, I love that. So I did 275 for a single for my last warm up, and I racked the bar and I said, oh, God, mighty, this is. Ugh. 
this is going to be, but 335 is the number for three. So I loaded it. I sat down a little while, loaded I got up, and I said, all right, you guys spot me on this. And I took the bar out of the rack, and I did the first rip. And I said, all right, God. <laughs> get I get close. real personal with God in those get, moments. <laughs> get, get close. I, I don't know. I don't know about the rest of the set. Get close. So I did the second rep, and I said, "All right, I'm going to go ahead and try the third one, but yeah. I want you guys to be ready to take it off of me." Yeah. So I did the third rep, and I did the third rep, and it felt like shit. Felt grindy. I stood up with it, racked it, and I said, "How'd those look?" And both of them told me they all three looked the same. Oh, wow! The third rep was not any slower than the first rep. Yes. Now my perception totally different was totally different (laughs) but if i with 48 years of experience can't tell yeah what the bar speed is because that is a that is the direct metric of the amount of force i'm putting into the system love it right yeah if i can't tell from the bar speed yeah if i think the bar speed is diminished and it hasn't then you can't either (laughs) all right I love that. So all of this, all of this limitation that you're applying to yourself, because you think something is going to be hard, is nothing more than cowardice. I love that. It's cowardice. Learn to work past cowardice, because it's a hell of a lot easier to work past cowardice in the gym yeah. than it is in a firefight. For sure. I always but you develop the habits. That's that's exactly what in I was the say. gym. Yes, of overcoming that which you don't know you can overcome. Yes, you overcome. You develop the habit of being able to do that yes. under the bar. Yes, and it carries over to everything else. It's so true. And I was just going to say the the uh, about habits and how important yes. habits are. Yes. And there is a couple things that you said that I want to hit on, but habit was a big one. And you know, I also talk about like there's two types of pain. There's the uh, uh, the pain of discipline yeah. that takes the discipline it takes to get yourself in that position mm-hmm. and do the work, yeah. and then there's the pain of regret, which is you get to that fourth rep and you bracket as opposed to trying for that fifth one, and then you always think in the back of your you head. You think in the back of your head, you know, I really am a pussy. <laughs> there's that, there's, and I regret and I, that, and that's painful. <laughs> I re- it know, is. Painful. I, I really am a pussy. I should have tried. <laughs> I probably could have got that. Yes. And even if I hadn't got that, the spotters were there. Yes. You know, and I wasn't going to hurt myself. I just didn't want to fail. Yes. I didn't, but I don't know yes. whether I would have failed or not yes. because I didn't try. try. Yes. Oh, I love it. You know, it's so true. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on was you have talked about like, um, and you said it right there, your perception. Uh, the first rep. You, you know, and, and as a novice lifter, the first rep feels good and I'm still focused on that first rep when I'm starting the second rep. And then there's a, there's a disparity. Something goes wrong. I'm not, I'm Mm -hmm. not focused on that. What's the secret to trying to ensure, like in your case, the three were identical? Well, there, there's a real good way to do that. All right. And, uh. This is something I did not know when I was competing in powerlifting back in the 80s because I hadn't yet been placed in the position where I had to analyze the movement pattern hmm. for what it was. Hmm. I, I, I did not understand 
the musculoskeletal mechanics of the squat. I didn't understand the physiology going on. I didn't understand about fatigue. I didn't understand anything. Hmm. I just understood squat down, stand back up. <laughs> All right, now, squat down, stand back up <clears throat> is fine with the empty bar. But when you're trying to do 589 at a meet, you had better have a plan of how to execute <laughs> that movement pattern. And I didn't have a plan because I didn't know anything about how to have a plan. So when you learn how to squat the way we teach you to squat, and when, when you learn how to do all of the lifts that we teach you to lift, there is a movement pattern that you are going to think about executing during that deadlift. Yeah. What do I think about during the deadlift? Well, what you think about is you take your grip, you put your hips in the correct position, and you push the floor. Yes. You push the floor away from the bar. Now, when it gets heavy, all you've got to think about is push the floor away from the bar. There's a mechanical job you've got to do, yeah. and you focus on that, and it'll go. Yeah. If you're capable of pulling it, it'll go. Yeah. But if you don't focus on that. Yes. And you get out of position, and you don't mm. execute the movement pattern correctly yeah. because you're not thinking about the correct execution. It may not go yeah. when it would have gone had you thought about the movement pattern you're going to execute correctly. So the focus in these lifts is extremely specific. What do I think about mm. to squat the bar? Mm. What do I think about? I think I have to think about my position on the way down, and I have to think about what I'm going to do in order to get up out of the bottom of the squat. And i got to be focused on that, not, oh, fuck. <laughs> if all you've this got in your head is, oh, fuck, yeah. this, is, this is more weight than I've ever done yeah. before. This yeah. is a PR. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That doesn't contribute to yeah. the execution of the movement pattern. Yes. What contributes to the execution of the movement pattern, the necessary thing for the third attempt on the platform is your focus on how to do the squat. What do I do yeah. to get out of the bottom of this damn thing? Yeah. And what do I do to ensure that I continue to drive the thing up all the way out of the oh, hole? I love it. See, all of this is extremely important, and you teach the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly the same yeah. thing. It's a mechanical task. Yes. And if you focus on the mechanics of the task, not what you're doing the task with, but the mechanics of the task. Yes. I don't focus on 622. Yeah. I focus on shoving my ass up out of the bottom <laughs> and staying in my hips. Yes. Then I'm much more likely to get the thing than to go, oh, shit. That's heavy. This is heavy. <laughs> oh my God! What am I going to do? This is oh, heavy. And, and there have been some times, like uh, like as I do my warm up sets, uh, I'm getting you know near the working weight, and the warm up sets feel heavy. Yes. And then all of a sudden, I get into the workout weight, and I get into a mindset, and I lift the bar out of the rack, and I kind of get situated, and as I'm starting to descend, it feels different, even yes. though it's heavier feels different and it's i i'm kind of i'm probably not focusing well enough during the warm-ups because they're warm-up weights you know and i'm not right. putting that effort in like i do well yeah you know and nobody's going to do that nobody's yeah. going to focus on yeah. on 225 the way they will on their work set yes but you you need to at least run through the checklist for sure while you're doing 225 you need to run through the checklist because you're even that day even though you've 
you've done this a thousand times. You're establishing the movement pattern for the rest of the sets you're going to do this day, right. and they've got to be done correctly. Yes. And if you don't, you're going to hurt yourself. Well, right? that's what I most worry about. I told you know, I was like, that's number one. Number one goal for me is injury prevention. You know, and that's how I also look at strength. Strengthening helps me to stay healthy right. and avoid injury. Right. The stronger I am, the less likely I am to get hurt. Exactly. Now, if you were a competitive lifter, yeah, the number one consideration would not be avoiding injury. Mm-mm. It's probably right? pushing to the point of injury. You have to. Yeah, absolutely. You have to. But being a shooter, you're you don't need to be hurt during your training because no. that doesn't contribute. To, to your, the skill, to the skill of, exactly. the, of executing the, exactly. the, the sport. I right? love that. I do. Um, so we've got, I'm sure, uh, plenty of folks that are once they once they watch this, they're now probably thinking, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to actually go out, either purchase the book or join the club or right. or watch the videos and start on their own. My my uh, my hope is that they will. And they, they, they take that lessons or they take the lessons that you've talked about. Number one, put the weight on the bar, do the work, and don't be a coward. Right. Don't be a coward. And the life lessons that come that are assigned to that will hopefully become more evident the harder they the, the right. more the, the harder it gets, the yeah. more that life lesson gets you don't see the point on day one. No. No, but after three years yeah. under the bar, yeah, yeah. You, will, you will have under you will have already applied this, yes, to daily things, yes, you without all, even knowing it, without knowing it, yes, you will have incorporated this method into problem problem solving. Yes, I love it. So, the goal for for this message to the those would be lifters is get to that like, is it get to a year. Get to uh, get to six months. Get to three years. What's what should be the goal for these folks that are just looking to start in? You know, they're maybe they've done it in the past. Maybe they haven't done it in a while. What's the goal for them? Is there like a a timeline that you? The goal is the next workout. Okay. The goal is five more pounds. Okay. Because you don't know how long five more pounds is going to work. It might work for six months mm. if you're. Schedule is interrupted periodically by other things mm-hmm. that you're doing. It mm-hmm. might last 12 months. Okay. You don't know. But if you don't focus on the next workout as the primary focus of your attention, then, you know, you're, you're, you get in. We see this all the time. You get in the habit of worrying about problems that you don't have to solve yet. Okay. And then you start That's trying to point. prematurely solve problems that don't exist. <laughs> If you've got five more pounds on your deadlift, just put it on the bar and lift the damn thing. <laughs> Instead of trying to worry about how some exotic programming is going to solve a problem that you're not experiencing right now. I love it. I love oh, it. It's, it's terribly tempting to get all wrapped up in, well, you know. Yes. When do I go to a late-stage late stage novice program, and then when do I change over to intermediate program? It. it you're not that that'll happen later yeah right now i need the 405 fifth rep on the bar yeah all right yeah oh my god it's so funny because i i literally can remember when i finally got to 405 and the fifth rep on that one and uh i was at a i was visiting a uh, gym in houston i was uh, visiting a crossfit gym in houston and i went in and worked out during the off hours because i was on my own program i didn't i wasn't yeah. participating in anything else 
and they were really gracious to let me come in there. And he's like, hey, do you mind? And I was lifting. I was getting the the set, the working sets or the warm-up sets going. And the guy asked if he could videotape. And I'm like, yeah, sure, sure, I guess. And he videotaped. So I actually have it on video. The first time I pulled, you know, five reps from 405. And I, I remember thinking the first time I got it off the ground, because it had been the first time that um, – that I was going for five reps at 405. And the, the I, I mean, I can because I can see the video in my head. I can remember exactly what was going through my head. And that was what you said earlier, which was pushing my heels through the ground. And right. that's all I can remember thinking. Like I had good grip. Right. Uh, and I had, you know, the bar. And I love the, the, the cues that you give as far as getting set up properly <coughs> for the lifts. Yes. Those cues have stayed with me forever. And, like, they've never failed me. And they eliminate a lot of the work that you have to do during the movement had you not done oh, the setup correctly. absolutely. Right. The, the stability right. and alone, the, just the right. stability and, and the – it's just amazing in that sense. So when I was I, – and I just kept saying to myself, just keep pushing through the floor, keep pushing through the floor. And after the fifth rep, I almost felt like – I was like, I feel like I have more in the tank. I feel right. like there's more there. So – I, I, I don't know why, why I have no I can't remember why I was bringing that story up to tell you, but I just got excited about it because I was remembering. Well, because the it was experience. because it's a because it is a, a stark reminder of yes. the fact that if you have a movement pattern to focus on yeah. that is derived from an analysis, a correct analysis of the movement, mm -hmm. then you can lift heavier weights. Because your brain doesn't go into oh shit mode. Yes. All right. You want to avoid that at all costs. Yes. Because oh shit is not a cue. <laughs> that's right. not part of your list? No. That's not on the list. Oh shit is not on the list. <laughs> or fuck this is heavy. Fuck on the this list. is heavy is not on the list. What is on the list is how do I get it off the floor? And the way you get it off the floor is you set the low back. And you shove your feet into the ground and push the bar away from oh, the floor. It, and then the rest of it, you don't really have to think about it. It's except so true. Keep pushing on the floor. Uh, you know, and that was the other thing. It's like when you learn the proper neural pathways, yes. they all just kind of fall into place. That's right. It just kind of like it's, right. it, it's like. Because we have done the anatomical and mechanical analysis for you. Yeah. I promise you that the way we're doing these lifts. Yeah is the best way you can do these lifts. Yeah. I guarantee you this yeah. is, our shit has never been refuted. <laughs> I love it that. hasn't been refuted. It's been argued with, oh, but, it's never, sure. been, but yeah. it's never been refuted. Yeah. There's one way to squat. Yeah. That's the way the heaviest weights in the world end up getting squatted. And it's the way to teach the squat so that you can lift the heaviest weights you can today. Yes. All right, there's one way to teach that. Yeah. There's one way to execute it. It may look different, with people of different anthropometries, but there's one way to do it correctly. It. Now, if you're strong enough to do it wrong, <laughs> that's a different thing entirely, yes. isn't it? Yes, totally. That's a totally ass different thing entirely. Could you do more right? Well, yeah. But see, this is why the greatest lifters in the world do it this way. That's not a valid argument. Absolutely it's not. It's absolutely not a yeah. valid argument. Yeah. It's just, it makes, like, I understand why somebody would say that, and more importantly, I understand why somebody without a detailed understanding of what they're what they're observing right. would not recognize that right. that's not the oh, right I, thing. Yeah, oh, I know why they say yeah, it. You're exactly. absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. <clears throat> it just, they just haven't look, thought about it for the hundreds of hours that I have and haven't, <laughs> looked, at the, haven't looked at the videos and hadn't done the mechanical analysis yes. that we've done. And, 
And it's, it, it, yeah, it might make logical sense to say, well, the greatest lifter in the world does it like this, so what is this shit you're teaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what I'm teaching is the way he should do it if he wants to do another 10 kilos. <laughs> That's what I'm teaching. Well, how do you know that? <laughs> Try it. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> See what happens. I, you know, yeah. and that was the other thing, too, that I, I tell people. It's like, I mean, yes, I hear a lot of excuses, but the bottom line is just try it. Just try it. What's Get it going to hurt? Exactly. To try it. Here's, this is the funny, funny, funny thing. I love it. All right. We pull everything off the floor with our hips up in the air. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at American Olympic weightlifters, they all do this, and then they pull the bar off the yeah. floor. All right. Because that's what their coaches think you need to do. Because, of course, the greatest lifters in the world do it yeah, that way, yeah, and that's yeah, what yeah, they're yeah, you yeah. Know, <laughs> So what we do when we have a seminar and we're doing the power clean in the morning, we always ask the group, has anybody in here been taught to do the clean with low hips by, for example, an American weightlifting coach? And when we get somebody in there, and we don't very often, but three or four times a year, we'll have somebody say, yeah, I've been to, you know, I've been coached by so-and-so, and I've been to two or three meets, and this is the way I was taught to pull. Huh. We say, wonderful. <laughs> now. Come forward, my friend. <laughs> now. let's. We're going to show you something. All right? And what we'll do is we'll put, <clears throat> oh, a moderately heavy weight on it, or 90, 100 yeah, kilos, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And I'll say, all right, I want you to pull this thing off the ground with your low hips version, the way you've been taught to do by Olympic weightlifters and coaches that say, well, the greatest weightlifters in the world do it this way, and so this is the best way to do it. Yeah. That's their logic. That's their logic, yeah, yeah. Right. Greatest lifters in the world do it with low hips, so you're going to do it with low hips. So we have them pull the bar off the ground with low hips. And yeah. what we do is we set the camera up oh. and shoot straight forward. And we have a blue line on the wall of the gym. <laughs> All right. So we look straight at level with the blue line and the camera. And we see how high the bar goes with the low hips. And we'll let them pull the bar with low hips, which is the comfortable way they've been pulling it. That's the movement pattern they're familiar with. Yeah. And then after that, once they're tired, <laughs> we'll have them raise their hips up. And pull the bar in a straight line off the ground the way we mechanically teach for various reasons. Yeah. That just works better mechanically. Yeah. Because it accelerates the bar better. And we we measure the difference against the wall. We measure the difference against the wall uh-huh. that the bar traveled with the two pulling styles. And every time... We will see that the bar traveled between four and six inches higher with our high hips pull <laughs> than that with their low hips pull. It's every single time. That's never been demonstrated otherwise. They're more familiar with the low hips. Interesting. <clears throat> they may have never even done the high hips before. Wow. And a bar goes higher at the same weight. Bar goes higher at the same weight. Now, you can do with that what you want to, but I'll tell you what I think about that is yeah. that 
you just accelerated the bar more efficiently because why in the hell else would it have more velocity and therefore more momentum and therefore have traveled higher and therefore you could have done more weight yeah. with it like this than with your weight, all right? So, you know, we, and we've, we've done this for, we've been doing this for like 15 years. <laughs> And every single time we do it like this, we show you exactly the same thing. Yeah. And yet they still want to argue about it. Oh, I, I feel your pain. I yeah, do. It's just, oh. uh, well, okay. So, and I'm sure that the, the lesson learned at that moment by watching, because we call it the one I know lie, the mm-hmm. video camera, one I know lie. And uh, watching the video performance there, does do you see them deciding to change? Yeah. At that moment? Usually we do. Okay, good. Usually we do because <clears throat> the athletes aren't as hard-headed as the coaches. <laughs> well, if they're good athletes, right? they want to if perform. If they're good athletes, they know what the hell we just showed them. Yeah, they want to perform Oh, I've never done it that way before. Oh, look at it on the video. Oh. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. All right, got it. I, under- I understand you know, now. And that's- the athletes know this. Yes. You know, very few of them yeah. are so married. To- now, I've run into them. But very few of them are so married to their coach that they, that they will voluntarily lift lighter weights oh. than they can if I show them what to do. That's crazy. I mean, I understand it. I, uh, yeah, the loyalty yeah. is is it's, you know, it's a nice quality trait. It's, it's, it's a quality wonderful trait, but when it's warranted. Yes, but if the if the goal is to perform at peak performance right. to obtain a win, and somebody shows you something that was different than you're doing and it works, why? What do you do? Why? You incorporate it, or you're just not being intelligent, or you're not playing to win. Right. Well, yeah, you're playing to conform. Yes, yes, yes. You want to be a team member. A team member, or you want to be a winner? Yeah. Which do you want to be? Yeah. And if the coach is telling you to do something that doesn't work as well as something else, and you continue to do what the coach tells you to do, you you're being win. a team member. Yeah. You don't want to win. You don't want to win. Yeah. And that's I I I understand that, but at the same time, that you know that just goes against the grain for me. It's just like sure. it's, it's so as it should ver- with yeah. everybody yeah, that exactly. spent that much time yes. perfecting. That's a skill, perfecting a performance. You can't be presented with information that will allow you to improve your performance and then ignore it because this guy over here has got his little feelings on the line. <laughs> oh, my feelings are <laughs> My feelings as a coach are hurt. What do you don't respect me or what? No, it's not the coach I don't respect you. It's that you're not right. <laughs> It's not the same thing. You know? It's true. I mean, just, you're, just, you're wrong about this. Yeah. Look. Yeah. Yeah. This is the empirical evidence yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this five inches of pull. And you're telling me to do it the other way anyway? Well, no. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's God. just, it's, it's, but, you know, and I understand you don't want to piss the guy yeah. off, especially if you're in a junior yeah. position on the team. Yeah. You know, if you're, you're, just up and coming, and this guy's taught you everything you know, but now you've been introduced to another concept, and he'd agree with it. You're kind of, you're kind of, I understand, you're yeah. kind of in a shitty position. Yeah, yeah, you are, but. You know, but but it's something that you as an adult, 
You're, it's going to happen again. Absolutely. And it's going to happen again. You're going to be confronted <laughs> down the road with this same situation over and over and over. And if you intend to make something out of yourself, you're going to have to have a, uh, a plan to deal with it. For sure. Um, let me ask you this question. We're kind of on the subject a little bit, but how do you deal with failure? Like over the course of your career, whether it be lifting yourself or coaching, how have you dealt with failure? The way I've dealt with failure is adapt to it. If I have no shit adapt, failed, well, there's a reason for it. If I was wrong about something when I was coaching, and I have been several times, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I change it. Okay. I change it because you have to. Nice. Because if you don't change it. Yes. Not only are you wrong, yes, but you look like a fool. And and I don't want to look like a fool. No, you know I I do that enough accidentally, organically. <laughs> organically I do that enough already. But if somebody shows me that I'm wrong on a piece of mechanical analysis, and that's happened, yeah, nice. you know we've been, we've learned things from the guys in the seminar. I've learned important things about the math of these mechanics. In fact, I've learned most of it about the math of the mechanics from guys in the seminar that are engineers. Yes. And I just incorporate, I just steal it. I love it. I steal it. But I will say, look, remember we said that was not right. Yeah, yeah. Here's the right thing. I love that. Okay. And, and, and they can, what I found is that people appreciate you're being able to say that I have learned something just like you have. Yes. I have learned something, and I continue to learn. Yes. And if I can't learn. Now, about my own training, I've, I have the, the entire time that I was a competitive lifter, I was fucking things up. <laughs> I overtrained all the time. Oh, I, I love actually, it. I didn't think about the mechanics. I just did what I was told, and that's right. I've competed at the wrong weight class. I didn't – most things I did wrong. Wow. Most things I did wrong. Wow. And I – you know, but if you're in the middle of it. Yeah. And you can't see it. Yeah. It's so true. You're in the middle of it and you can't see it. But looking back on it now, here are the mistakes I made. And I have incorporated all that into what I'm telling you guys. I love that. Don't make the mistakes I did. Yes. Because it costs you time and you only get to do this once. Oh, my God. It's so true. I love that. I, I mean, it's so funny to hear you talk about some of the students, an engineer providing you with some better oh, math. Oh, God, yes. I had a similar kind of experience. Uh, we teach uh, uh, a method for uh, working corners and angles. Uh, we call it, you know, it's ba- you know, some people call it pie in the corner. We call it working angles, working, uh, you know, busting a corner. And I, I discovered this when I was still on active duty during Force on Force. It was a long, dragged-out story. Won't go into that, but... And then I started incorporating our training classes. And I knew that it worked because I saw it work. Mm-hmm. And I was there to see it work. And then it worked again in future evolutions. And I could I could replicate it. I had right. control to replicate it. So I knew it worked. Right. But I had no idea why. Right. And, right, and right. I was in a class one day teaching this to the guys. Exactly. And our the situation. next day, I had a guy come with a blueprint roll. 
after the class, he went home on his CAD machine. He drew up the same thing with the, all the angles and the numbers, and he brought it to me, rolled it out on the hood of the car, and he starts to explain it to me. And I was like, holy shit, this right. is awesome. Oh. Yes, it did. And, I mean, it right. made it made, it made made sense at, at my cognitive level, but he was just going off, and he's like, this is why it worked like this and this. And I was right. like, this is so cool. So it's, yeah, it's well, awesome you to know, hear that. Guys that throw that kind of stuff into the into to contribute to yeah. what you're doing yeah that's invaluable oh, it's so true we can't be responsible for everything, everything. but Absolutely. I, you know it just can't be done but we've got like our pulling model off the floor the shoulders when you pull the bar off the floor the arms are not vertical yeah they can't be yeah. they never are they are, that's not the phenomenology Interesting. Now you can think that you can pull the bar off the floor with vertical arms, but if it's heavy enough, you can't. It won't. Yeah. There are no examples of that occurring in nature. Yeah. So there's a reason why the shoulders are slightly in front of the bar when a heavy deadlift comes off the floor, and when a heavy clean comes off the floor too. Yeah. All right. There's a reason for that. Now, what is it? Well, I had observed this. For a long time. I'd observed this for a long time. Why do the hips need to be in a position that generates this position out in front of the bar? <clears throat> well, I didn't know why. Yeah. I knew what. Yes. But I didn't know why. Yes. And so we started playing around with this this anatomical explanation and stuff. And I had uh, one of our one of the people that attended the the uh, the seminar. Uh, was a was a math guy, and you know I. At, at about the same time that he figured out the math of the lat humorous relationship and all this other stuff, and sent it to me in a diagram that appears in the blue book. By the way, that nice. diagram is in the blue book. <clears throat> I had figured out that. We used to say the scapula was vertical to the bar when the bar comes off the floor. Right. And while that is true, it's irrelevant. It just happens that the scapula That's in proper position. is okay. the proper position, and okay. it's a good landmark, but it's not why. Oh. Why is the relationship that the lat has with the humerus as the bar comes off the floor and the relationship of the bar over the okay. middle of the foot. All that yeah. stuff, all that shit lines up in one certain alignment that is true for every human being. Yes. Every single human being yes. pulls the bar off the ground like this, whether you want to or not. Yeah. If there's enough weight on the bar, that's why it's that's the weight comes off the ground. Yeah. All right. So you might as well teach it that way, <laughs> right? Just get it over with yeah. and teach it yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah. The bar comes yeah. off the ground with hips higher than you want them to be. Yeah. Because the deadlift is not a squat with the bar in the hands. Right. That's not what it is. Yeah, yeah. And so all of this stuff kind of landed on my lap in the same week. Wow. And uh, I uh, I thought, well, this this is kind of interesting. This sure <laughs> clears a bunch of shit up. <laughs> you know, this year, this had never been articulated before. Yeah. Uh, so I went out to Stanford to talk to a math guy. To a He's a biomechanist out there about uh, this. I actually got a plane in a hotel room, and I went out there and paid this guy <laughs> to listen to me talk for three hours about this stuff. And his basic uh, 
agreement with me. His basic conclusion is, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> you know, this guy was an important biomechanist. He wasn't an exercise biomechanist. Yeah. He was an actual biomechanist. Nice, nice. And, you know, a guy that designed prostheses for hips and knees and stuff oh, like that wow. and how the mechanics of the prostheses work against the actual forces, not this on paper bullshit. Yeah. It's a PE degree. Yeah. So he said, yeah, I, 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 probably, you're probably right. Oh, my God, that's you know? hilarious. And they're not going to say, yeah, you're right. Of course not. <clears throat> Can't do that. No, no. Say, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Man, you know, that was good enough for me. So yeah. we've taught it like this, and it's never been refuted. Nice. In fact, it's never even been addressed really? by anybody else. Everybody's right? just accepted it. Everybody, I know. I don't know if they've accepted well, it, but they at least they don't argue with it. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. You know? It's implied that they've accepted it's with implied, it. It's implied unless they're not... you got a better idea. Right, exactly. You know, this is the way the that's thing is. That's how I is, look at it. You know, yeah, unless that's... you guys got a better idea that you hadn't told me about. Yeah, and that's so, that's so awesome because I, you know, in the years that I've been doing deadlifts, uh, what I consider, what I like to consider in a proper form, because there was a time that I did them terribly, um, I've always used as that cue my shoulder blades being directly over the barbell. And they are. Yeah. But it but that's a coincidence. Yes. I just thought, you know, right. the hat, the, you know, it's it's so. That's not when the, sh the shoulder blades aren't doing anything. <laughs> exactly. There because they're in that position. They just happen to be in that position because other things, things are there. Are correct. there correct. Yes. That have to be in that position. I love it. And that, the, right. the, the, the beautiful thing about that is like, um, now, knowing that, you know, because I would try to concentrate on the shoulder blades, too. I would kind of focus on what the shoulder blades were mm -hmm. doing. And now, uh, without, you know, to a certain point, and then everything, all my focus just went straight to the heels, just right. pushing through. So it's interesting to hear that now because uh, I love, first of all, that was a great cue for me. That really helped change so much uh, because it's, um, it's an easy cue. Mm -hmm. It's an easy cue to set up and repeatably. It's an easy thing to see if you're standing watching the lifter. Absolutely. I didn't even right. think of that. But what you what you really need to look at, because you can't see the shoulder blades, but what you can see are the angles. Yeah. You look at the angles the shins and the arms make. Okay. And once those are in a friendly position, then the bar comes off the floor. And if the hips change position... As the bar comes off the floor, then you were in the wrong position. Interesting. They're too low. Yeah. If you do this right, that's what happens. Yes. Yeah. And then you, you 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 come off the floor without any change in the hip position, and then the back angle starts to get more vertical the minute the bar leaves the floor. Yeah. In a correct deadlift. Now, nice. a clean, it, it's a little bit different than sure, that. But sure. a correct deadlift, if, if any of this takes place off the floor, uh -huh. any – Back angle change in the deadlift takes place off the floor. It's wrong. You were you, you were too low. Huh. One of the the thing we we articulate most accurately when when we talk about the deadlift start position. If you don't feel your hamstrings tight, yes, before the bar leaves the ground, you're in the wrong position. I that was another cue that uh, yeah. just made it made it sense. It made sense to me. It was e it was easy to uh, feel. Yes, because you can tell <clears throat> when they're you can tell clearly that if the hamstrings aren't uh, loaded, your ass is yes, too Yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> I love it. Mm -hmm. All right, let me ask you another question. What was best advice given to you by a mentor? Star told me one time, "You're not very coachable." <laughs> <laughs> I 
he said, "Appreciate your honesty. You're not very coachable." Appreciate I your said, honesty. <laughs> well, I never thought about that before. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> so you know, and and by being coachable, that doesn't mean you have to believe everything I tell you. Yeah, it just means shut up and try it for sure. Shut up and try it. Oh just my try God. it and see. Because I know more about this than you do. Now I may be wrong. Yeah. And if that's the case, then then down the road you're entitled to your own opinion. Yeah. But I'm trying to help you. Yeah. And I want you to at least attempt to do what I'm yeah. telling you yeah. to do. And if you yeah. can't do that, then I'm wasting my time. For here. sure. That's what he meant by that. And I love and hearing he was that. absolutely true. I just republished an, uh, a blog article that I did that uh, was, was titled um, Unteachable. Right. And it was uh, my observations of students, particular traits that I see in students that I'm wasting my time. Yes. And I'm I'm gonna just I, I'm gonna be cordial to you. I'm going to uh, you know assist right. you. I mean, in the, you did in the pay pro- me. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. But you until until you're ready to hear what I have to say. Right. I can better suit the person next to you. Right. Or the until other you're ready, what I ha- to hear what I have to say. You're wasting your money. Exactly. Now you are paying for my time. Yeah. And I've done my job. Exactly. But you're wasting your money. Absolutely. And and it, the the point behind that was. If you are paying me, it's implied that you want to hear hear what I have to say. And more than that, you're willing to try what I'm going to say. Um, When I have a peer come into a class, uh, you know, an equal peer of sorts, I'm always interested to hear what they have to say after I've kind of gone through certain evolutions and whatnot. Like, what, you know, what's what's your thought process? What's your observations and feedback and stuff like that? And, you know, and and a lot of times, I'm looking for critiques from them to right. try to improve my sure. game and do my job better. So if I if I'm waiting to hear from somebody who I consider to be an equal, um, and and listen to what they have to say, I hope that that message is also relayed to a student. Like I'm, hey, look, I'm still perfecting my game. I right. my my perfection is my goal. I know I won't attain it, but it doesn't mean that I'm not shooting for it. Mm-hmm. And so. If I take the time to 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 get feedback from my my peers uh, about what I'm doing in the instructing job, then I would like to think that other people would do the same thing from a student's job. So that's a great piece of advice. And I, you know, I learn from people taking the seminar all the time. I'll get a question. Yeah. yeah. About four or five times a year, I'll get a question and I'll go. <laughs> you know, I never thought about that. Yeah. That's a that's a very good point. I love and, I love it when those happen though. Oh yeah. They are, oh yeah, they're oh, God. amazing. I, 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 you know what I love about it is recognizing that it happened. You know, uh, yeah. realizing, hey, you know, I still can learn. Yes, here. this is this is fun. There's another space you know? that I just filled in my little right. memory exactly. bank. Exactly, I love that. All right, well, let's start wrapping things up here with a final question. All what's right. What's the biggest takeaway you want the listeners to learn from our conversation today, yes. or in general? Uh, you know. What I'd like for everybody to realize uh, about Starting Strength, our program, is that it it is composed of two parts. It's composed of a correct analysis of the movement patterns that we that we utilize under the bar, and it is composed of secondarily the way to program 
those movement patterns to every single time on every single person that does this create improved force production. Love it. That's that's all there it is. This is you know this is the only method of strength training being taught right now in the world that works every single time it is applied for every single person. Nice. It's the most efficient way to get strong. Yeah. It's the fastest way to get strong. And what I want you to understand is is that it's a it is a logical approach to a problem just like an engineering I love that. Yes. solution. This is the engineering of strength. I is love what that. is what starting strength is is the engineering of strength. We are we we start from first principles, meaning gravity, yeah, moment, mechanics, this sort of thing. Muscle contraction, we start with physiology, how do the muscles actually work? And we end up with this approach that we use in the gym. Yeah. And it works every single time it's tried. That doesn't mean that it's going to look the same for your grandmother as it does for her grandson. Yeah. But the principles are applied exactly the same way. Yeah. We find a way to have that person do the movement pattern in the most effective and efficient way possible under the bar. And then we incrementally increase the stress. Nice. For as long as it's possible to incrementally increase the stress – and if they're still alive, they can adapt. <laughs> one of the features of being alive is, is your ability to adapt to stress. <laughs> I love it. it works every single time it's tried. Uh, oh. And there are not as many ways to train for strength as there are grains of sand on the beach. There aren't. They're not. They're not. I, and I love that. And, you know, there was one other one other thing that I wanted to, to talk about, and that was uh, – <clears throat> and you've mentioned it several times throughout the podcast – uh, but there has to be sufficient weight on the bar for you to learn. Yes. And if it's too light, there's no resistance and if, there's no imp- – If you can, not- if it's too light, you can do it wrong. Yeah, and get right. away with it. Right. Absolutely. Right. And and that's that was one of the things, too, that I always um, – I shouldn't say always. That's not the right way to put it. But it wasn't until I actually felt confident enough to start – lifting heavy that my technique actually started to get better yes because it had to yeah exactly it had to exactly right and that's why we do it the way we do it the first day you come to the gym we don't just do the empty bar oh nice. no we don't do the yes. empty bar kid walks in the gym 17 year old kid he's 5 11 he weighs 165 pounds we're going to take that kid and we're going to teach him how to squat with the empty bar and we're going to put 95 pounds on the bar nice. and we're going to 125 on the bar and we're going to put 155 on the bar, and we're going to have him do that because it's starting to slow down a little bit, showing me that it's heavy for yeah. him. And he's going to do three sets of five with 155. Because if I'd stopped him at the empty bar, he would not have learned anything yes. about how to push on something heavy, yeah. and I would not have seen yes. – the movement problems that he was going to have at 155. Yes. Because if he's doing 155 and he's doing something wrong, I can correct it. Yeah. But if I stop him at an artificially lightweight, I can't. You can do if it's if it's light enough, you can do it wrong. Yeah. All right. This is what this is one of the problems with Olympic weightlifting coaching. Oh. All right. 
a heavy clean, a 1RM clean is not a 1RM pull. A 1RM deadlift is a 1RM pull. Right. So you're doing a pull with a lighter than 1RM weight. Yeah. And you can do it inefficiently off the floor if you want to. You shouldn't. <laughs> Ideally. Ideally, you shouldn't, <laughs> but you can. Interesting. And just because the lifter is doing it wrong and he's a world champion doesn't mean that that's the best way to do it. And that's the problem they don't. It, it, it's, 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 yeah. it's a problem. It is. It's it's easy. It's to, a conceptual problem. It, it's so, and we see it in, in a lot of other industries. But I see it. Sure. I see it. I see it in my industry as well. Uh, all right. Well, where can people learn more about Starting Strength and the rest of your crew? Well, our 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 website is startingstrength.com. Okay. Startingstrength.com. Uh, we've got uh, a whole bunch of stuff on that website. Okay. That's the largest strength training website in the world nice we've got hundreds and hundreds of in-depth articles yes by hundreds and hundreds of different people nice on the website we have a very active forum where we communicate about things all day long nice we uh, offer seminars and training camps and in-person products just like you guys do and uh, our gym in Wichita Falls is the kind of the headquarters of the whole thing, but we're all over the place with our camps. Yeah. We only do our seminars in Wichita Falls. Oh, nice. Because we've got the equipment down, yeah. and I'm not going to fly commercial anymore. <laughs> Screw not, that. Just not interested. <laughs> not interested in doing it. So I don't you play. guys can fly to me. Yeah. Everybody likes to be there anyway. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, Except uh, for steakhouses. Start, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Need to work on yeah, that. Uh, yeah, need, need to work, work on, on that. We need to work on our steakhouse situation. <laughs> but as long as I have my beef, I just bought, just as a complete aside, I just bought two beef from a guy over in Nocona, and they they dry-aged those four sides for me for four weeks. It's, it's high-choice, four-week dry-aged beef. And it's good. <laughs> and I'm not going to a steakhouse. So, so what I'm hearing falls. is what I'm hearing is dinners at Mark's place. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> that, if, if you can talk me into it, that'd be better. Yeah, it would. It sure, <laughs> it sure would. would be better. All right, folks. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Mark, for coming on the show. Sorry about that. Thank you. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. Thanks for the support. And thanks to our sponsors. I want to also thank the men and women holding the line. Check out our previous podcast by visiting bulletproofworkshop.com. Learn more about me and training opportunities by visiting tridentconcepts.com. Until then, I'm Jeff Gonzalez. You're listening to the Bulletproof Workshop podcast. Stay safe or be dangerous. All right.